it's Simon, and this is Turning the Tables, a podcast dedicated to the stories of people who've overcome adversity to create change and find new meaning in their lives. My career was built in advertising, despite the image of the Mad Men TV series, an industry that in the 80s and 90s led the shift to greater gender equality in the workplace. There is still a long, long way to go, but many women are in leadership roles. Not so the startup founder and investment community. And for a long time, I wasn't being treated differently until I brought on um, my first investors. And it was really through my experience with my first investors that I started realizing how male dominated and how much um, that mentality um, was looming kind of over the industry. And it was in that moment and during that time frame where I started to feel silenced for the first time um, as a woman, where my opinions clearly did not matter as much as um, other people in the room. And I was shocked, honestly, in the beginning. I was not expecting it. I was maybe a little bit naive around it. But then once I saw it, it was like a slap in the face and I started realizing that it was everywhere. Welcome to episode 38 of Turning the Tables with my guest, Lindsay Campbell. A single mum, the founder of two tech startups, and author of a new book, This Better Work, charting her journey through the hyper-masculine world of tech startups. Lindsay's career started in entertainment, working on The Rosie O'Donnell Show, and in music publishing. But it is her startup journey that has left the most significant imprint. And that's the subject of this podcast episode. Lindsay talks about the stress and pressure which contributed to her divorce and a breakdown. How she had to struggle to be accepted and acknowledged as a startup founder by the male run VC investment community, and how she's working to redress the imbalance by supporting female founders and publishing her new book. Lindsay is currently living in Pittsburgh with her son, two dogs, two cats and seven bikes. And by that, you can probably glean, she's a fitness fanatic. We started our conversation by talking about how Lindsay's career began. Well, I shall start by saying um, welcome very much to Turning the Tables, Lindsay. It's great to have you on the show. You're from Pittsburgh. You describe yourself as a two-times tech founder, author. You're just about to launch a book called This Better Work. By the way, I love the title. There's a story there, obviously. I'm sure there's a story there. And I, I guess one of the things that through your career you've really faced is that adversity of being a woman in a what's commonly described as a man's world, particularly the man's world of tech startups. So that's going to be really interesting for us to explore that. But I thought just for the you know, viewer's sake, we maybe wind the clock back and tell us a little bit about Lindsay. Lindsay growing up, Lindsay getting into business in the first place. Yeah. So like you said, I, I do currently live in Pittsburgh and I am from Pittsburgh, grew up here. 
um, shortly after and kind of actually a break from college, I started bouncing around the country and really like I, as, as I like to describe it, chasing my dreams, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, what I liked. And that led me to a job in New York City initially. It started out as an internship at the Rosie O'Donnell Show. And then it transitioned into um, a full-time job. So dropped out of college, stayed in New York, worked at the Rosie O'Donnell Show, uh, came back to Pittsburgh, missed the entertainment industry, bounced out to Los Angeles for a little bit. I was a music publicist, uh, lucky enough to work with clients like David Bowie, Tom Petty, Fleetwood Mac. Um, but I didn't love L.A., wasn't my vibe. You know, came back to Pittsburgh, and when I got back to Pittsburgh, I landed a job working for—actually, it was a contract job working in the media for the NBC affiliate here. And when I was producing a set of commercials for them, they approached me and said, hey, our web producer is going on maternity leave. Would you fill in for her for six weeks? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. That sounds great. No idea what she did. I was not qualified for that job, but— I took it and I taught myself basic HTML, learned how to update the website, got super competitive about beating the other stations, and fell in love with the internet. And that kind of led me down this path of wanting to go and work for a completely web-based internet startup company. Um, and then that was the path I took. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So if I had been at school with Lindsay, what kind of person would I have observed? Um... Pretty, probably high energy, a lot of laughing. I think I definitely, I was, this is actually embarrassing, I was voted homecoming queen of my senior <laughs> class. But I say this because, and, and it's who I am, I've always been somebody who can kind of go into any situation and adapt and like function really well. I, I'm a little bit of a chameleon and I feel like I've done that throughout my career as I've explored all of these different things. And I was like that in high school where, you know, I could be hanging out with a group, the group of cheerleaders and then go right into hanging out with like the video game nerds and working the AV equipment. In fact, I worked the AV equipment. It was one of the things I did was do our, our morning broadcast. So I learned that early in life and I carried that with me throughout my career. And I think it's actually helped me be successful. So it sounds like a sort of fearless exploration of whatever, whatever was thrown in front of you. I mean, did you at that time when, when you were at school or college, did you sort of have in your mind that you were going to be an entrepreneur? I had no idea what an entrepreneur even was. <laughs> and seriously, I grew up super blue collar, middle class in Pittsburgh. And, you know, I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I went to school for journalism. I've always loved writing. I've always loved storytelling. Um, but I had no idea what an entrepreneur was. And then what happened was I landed at the first tech job, which was this company called Spreadshirt. It was a German-based apparel company, and they set up their U.S. operations in Pittsburgh. And I was like, and I met the founders and got to know the founding team. They were young. And I just remember thinking, if these weirdos can do this, I can do this. Because they were wild. It was this wild group of guys. And I thought, wow, if they could do it, like, why couldn't I do this? And I ended up meeting the co-founder of my first tech company at that job. And we just clicked really well. And we were watching how they were operating and raising money. And I think it just dawned on us that, like, listen, why not? I think we can do this. So even in those early days, did, did you go into it and suddenly twig, hang on, this is an incredibly male environment? I mean, this is tech people tend to be all geeky 
geeky boys? Or yeah. at what point did that become? Did you start to observe that as being a, a sort of challenge? Yeah, it was it was interesting because early in my career, again, I worked at the Rosie O'Donnell show. Um, I worked at Barnes and Noble. I was in a bookstore, worked at movie theaters. I was always in these like really creative environments that weren't so male dominated. And then um, I took a job with the Pittsburgh Pirates for a while. That was my first experience. But getting into tech, um, it was really when I started going out into the world to network and meet other people that I started realizing how much in the minority I was, where I would go to events, and it could be a small networking event in Pittsburgh where there might be 20 people, and I was definitely the only woman, right? Like, that was just how it was. And then in my first company, in addition to being in tech, we worked a ton in the music industry. And the music industry, again, especially live music um, with venues and promoters, is extremely male-dominated. So those um, early years when, when you were sort of growing up in the business sense in tech, were there any events that sort of suddenly brought this whole issue to life where you suddenly thought, hey, hang on, you know, I, I'm different here because of because the fact I'm a woman? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot. So for me, I think it really dawned on me and early in my career, um, again, I, I wasn't, I didn't notice it as much as I, I probably would have. Like, it was so normal to me that, like, I was used to it. I got used to it. And for a long time, I wasn't being treated differently until I brought on um, my first investors. And it was really through my experience with my first investors that I started realizing how male-dominated and how much um, that mentality um, was looming kind of over the industry. And it was in that moment and during that time frame where I started to feel silenced for the first time um, as a woman, where my opinions clearly did not matter as much as um, other people in the room. And I was shocked, honestly, in the beginning. I was not expecting it. I was maybe a little bit naive around it. But then once I saw it, it was like a slap in the face, and I started realizing that it was everywhere. And even in those early years, did you feel you were treated any differently? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were times in board meetings where... And I love marketing. Um, it's kind of what I leaned heaviest into at my first startup. And, you know, I would prepare these elaborate reports for our board meetings, you know, with all of the results we've been generating and kind of the campaigns that we were running. And I remember in the board meetings, they would typically put my spot last. And a lot of times we wouldn't get to it. And I was like, okay, that sucks, but whatever. And then we hired a guy. I finally let go of marketing. I was like, I'm going to hire a VP of marketing, brought this guy in named Brian. And next thing I knew, uh, his reports in the board meetings were being listened to diligently. There were lots of questions. And I was just like, well, I don't, like, what? What was I doing differently, right? And I just started to realize that the people that were around the table with me were not going to be the supportive group of people that I thought they were. So did that, influence the direction you took as you started to build your career? So in some ways, yeah. I mean, I think what I was doing along the way was trying to learn how to operate within the system that existed rather than changing it. And so, for example, with my co-founder and with some of these investors, one of the things I recognized was if I made them think it was their idea, that then it would happen. So I got really good at that. 
not. Like, I got really good at planting seeds and making people think that it was, you know, their idea to get my things pushed through. And, Plenty like, that's of relationships wild. are founded on that. Well, totally. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I got good at it and I, I figured out it worked for me. But then at some point, you know, as I've gotten older and as I've had more experience, I realized, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to change it. I don't want to work within it. I want to make it better for everyone else who's coming after me. Okay, and how did you, how did that manifest itself? So, you know, I think as I have transitioned, you know, and and there was a, a, a second startup in the meantime, but over the last two years, I've spent the majority of my time, you know, just working very closely with a lot of early stage founders and a lot of them are female founders. And one of the things I realized um, in starting to put more of an effort into like being there for the people, the women in this community, um, 75% of them in the first time, you know, we would get together to talk were crying. And I realized it was, you know, and they would tell me it's because they'd never had anyone else to talk to. So, you know, in some ways, I just kind of like opened up my calendar and made myself more available to people. And then earlier this year, um, I was given the opportunity to launch a seed stage venture fund here in Pittsburgh um, with my friends from Techstars. So I was lucky enough to be accepted into the Techstars Mobility Program in 2018 with my second startup. And through that experience, I, you know, made a lot of awesome friends and grew my network. And um, my managing director at Techstars, his name's Ted Serbinski, reached out and said, you know, I'd really like to start this pre-seed venture fund in the Midwest. Do you want to do it with me? And I realized that, again, writing a check to these women is one of the most powerful things I can do. So if I can sit across the table from them and be that person who wasn't there when I was doing this... I, I couldn't think of any other way to, to do it better. So I think just a combination of like, you know, making an effort to give back and then really finding ways to do it that are tangible, like being able to write a check or, you know, I'm going to be launching a workshop to help founders work through the pivotal moments in their life. You know, I just think there's we need to build more community around it and let people know that they're they're not alone. Were there any points in this journey where where you where it really got you down and really sort of set you back? <sighs> yeah, I mean, the big one for me was absolutely the collapse of my relationship with my co-founder. When I met him, we clicked so immediately and so intensely that uh, I'd never really honestly experienced a relationship like that before. Like he made me laugh so much harder than everyone else. We saw the world, you know, I feel like we were wearing a very similar lens in the way that we were seeing the world, a ton of work ethic. And we went through over the course of five years, we went through a lot of stuff together. I thought we were going to be best friends forever. So, you know, five years in when I started to realize that a wedge was there and something was up and that he was getting ready to move on. It was really devastating to me. And I think it was also devastating because I felt like I was being left behind to be eaten by the wolves, you know, which were our investors. Because at least through everything, I had him. And then when he was leaving, I just realized, I was like, wow, I'm I'm in this alone. Um, because being a founder, this was the other thing, you know, as the team was growing, I felt like I had to be less and less myself, right? You know, with the first 10 people, we were family, 25 people on the team. You know, I can't go out and have drinks like I used to. I can't, you know, I have to, you know, present myself in a little bit of a different way. And that was hard for me, and especially hard for me to do alone. 
Did this sort of work context, did it have an impact on your life outside of work? Oh, yeah. So I am divorced. Um, I was married in 2005, launched my first company in 2007, was divorced in 2009. And I really do believe a part of it was the stress of, you know, starting the startup. You know, and then obviously, like, you know, probably not meant to be, but it definitely played a role. Um, I had a miscarriage through this, you know, and, you know, in the midst of, you know, probably one of my lowest points with that first company had the miscarriage, right? So, you know, all of these things I went through with my co-founder and went through with my team, and I was lucky that I had all of those people around me. But I do think the, the stress of a startup can really push a founder to to mental limits. And, you know, there was a time where I was counting calories and weighed probably 95 pounds just so I could control something, you know, right? It's like when things are spinning out of control around you, I was grasping. I think there was this, a part in my journey where I was grasping for the thing that I could control that would make me feel like I wasn't just along for the ride. And, you know, I stopped drinking for a year and a half. I was kind of, it was like anything. It was more of like, what can I, what can I do in my physical environment even? Um, and that's kind of what, where it led me. And, and it just was really unhealthy for a good two years. I was in, in a really unhealthy place. And, and do you think that was anything to do with, you know, the circumstance you described being the only woman in, effectively in the environment? Or do you think that's just a byproduct of how stressful startups are? What, what, how do, what do you analyze that as being about? So I think it, I think it's a combination, right? I think it was the, the like startup life is really, really hard and there's not a lot of gray, right? So like the highs are so high and the lows are so low. I'm kind of wired that way anyway. So that stuff isn't actually that difficult for me to deal with. I really do think for me, it was more the relationships with the investors and the lack of respect. And, you know, here I was, I built this company and gotten it to the point where these people were even able to invest. And then for and to have them walk in and just kind of like disregard everything that came before them, I think really was one of the most challenging things for me to deal with. Is not, And I say this all the time, all I ever wanted was my voice to be heard. How did, I mean, how did you bounce back from all of that? Honestly, the, yeah, I mean, the, the show clicks, the show clicks thing and the issues with my investors, I'll be honest, I don't think I have actually bounced back completely from that experience. I ended up having to leave my company before the acquisition happened. I just couldn't do it anymore. There were a set of circumstances that my investors put me in that at the end of the experience, I just said, I, I can't, this isn't healthy for me anymore. I can't do this. So I had to walk away from my startup before the acquisition took place. Which must have been a heavy blow because when you've been involved right from the oh, beginning yeah. in building a, a company and then you get none of the benefits of all that hard work, that must exactly. be really and It's tough. like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I had the exit and there was kind of like, and that's what's interesting is, you know, I, I opened the book talking about this. You know, the first chapter is about getting acquired. And there I was sitting on the sidelines and this moment for founders is supposed to be like the climax of the journey, right? This is what it all culminates. You know, you're going to get, you're acquired. You've, you know, you've, you've done the thing, you're successful. And here I was, and it was the opposite of that. And down to the minute I was signing these agreements, you know, for the company to be acquired, those investors were still taking shots at me. 
and still, you know, just tr trying to get every last dollar out of me. And it just, you know, I, at the end, I fought. I fought and I said, I'm not selling this company um, if these are the the terms that you're, you know, considering. So it was, you know, and with the second company, I started was called Lane Spotter. So I would say it's like Ways for Bikes. It was helping cyclists find the safest routes from point A to point B, a very mission-driven business for me. And um, as I was getting ready to raise money for that, I couldn't do it. And I, the term I use is I have VCPTSD. And <laughs> I just realized a lot of letters. I just realized that I didn't want to invite that type of relationship into my life again. And I don't think I'm actually capable of managing that type of relationship in my life. Um, I'm too scarred from it. So again, for me, when I was taking a step back after the second company, when I couldn't raise money, and I was deciding what to do. That's when I said, you know what? I have 15 years of solid experience and I've legit survived everything a startup can throw at you. What can, there's value there. What can I do with that that can at least help others, you know, not only make the good decisions, but avoid some of those really big mistakes I made that set my life down a path that I did not want it to go down. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds re really tough, but I, I guess you have a real bounce back ability. Um, I don't think you can survive more than a year of startup life if you can't bounce back like that. Um, some people were born with it. I think I was kind of born with it, but I do actually think you can learn this too. And I think it's one of those things that like you can work with founders to really grasp and handle those situations better. Do you see things changing? Do you see any more women coming through in tech businesses? Do you, do you see any signs of change in the, in the, in the male out, outlook? Absolutely. It is refreshing, honestly. So it's not where it needs to be. I, you know, to be clear, you know, when we go to events, um, you're still looking at maybe 15 to 20% of people there are women, but that's way better than the 5% or whatever it was when I was there. They're definitely getting a lot more support. I think over the course of the last two years and throughout the pandemic, you know, a lot of things have just come to light and people are having much bigger conversations about kind of social equity. And we're recognizing that women and people of color have not been getting the opportunities that everyone else has. Lots, a lot more women. The one thing that I think is still a little bit slow that is starting to change, though, is not necessarily on the founder and entrepreneur side. It's on the investor side. There are not enough women on that side of the table. And I think that's a big reason why only 2% of VC money goes to female founders. You're going to give money to people who look like you. That's, I mean, I, even if you're trying not to, I think it's one of those things that just naturally happens. I mean, that is an astonishing statistic, isn't it? Only it is. 2% of VC yeah. money goes to female founder businesses. I mean, yes, that's crazy. Quite incredible. Yeah. And, uh, and, and what's even more incredible about it is the results um, that female founders are able to produce are typically greater than that of all male teams. So you even, you're even, you know, you're minimizing your risk by investing in female founders, yet it's still not happening at the rate it should be. So this cornucopia of different experiences in the world, world of tech has brought you to this point where you decided to write about it your new book, This Better Work, soon to be published. Tell us a bit about that and the background to that. Yeah, so, um, you know, started writing it about a year and a half ago, and it really was during this transition period of my life where I realized I didn't want to be a founder again. 
And I was really trying to think about, okay, well, what does that mean for me? What does my path look like moving forward? And it felt like I was closing the door on something. And I thought, what better time to actually take all of this information and capture it and really kind of put it somewhere where I can then share it with others and and help. So, you know, this better work, it really is about my kind of 15 year journey um, through this hyper masculine tech startup world. Every chapter revolves around a pivotal moment in a founder's journey. So it's things like raising money, you know, meeting the co-founder, hiring the first team members. And um, a lot of it is really, you know, good advice on how to do things right, but also a reminder of these are the things that you need to look out for. And the mistakes can be just as detrimental as the good decisions are beneficial to you. And you have to be aware of kind of everything across the spectrum. Um, And really, a lot of this is about people and it is about managing relationships and about kind of the things that you need to do and how to position yourself to be successful within those relationships. And and writing the book, did it bring to bring to mind new things for you? I mean, how was that experience of writing the book? I mean, this it's very this very cliche and probably stereotypical, but it this was therapy for me. I feel like I came out the other side of this knowing myself better than I ever have in the past, or at least being much closer to knowing myself um, really kind of fully. I I know what I want out of life at this point. I've, I've kind of developed a mantra over the course of this, and it's happiness over heartache. And when I'm looking at things in my life, and it could be a contract job, it could be a friendship, it could be a relationship, it could be my mom, right? Um, is, you know, is this making me happy or is this causing heartache? And which way are those scales tipping? And really being um, more kind of direct about the decisions in my life, whether or not if something's causing me heartache, I'm going to change it, where before I might have let that sit with me for much longer. That's interesting what you're, you're saying there about head and head and heart, really. I sort of mm-hmm. wonder, and it's partly my observation, is that tech businesses tend to be a lot of head and not much heart, i.e. very, very functional, not very emotional, not yeah. just in the way they operate, but also in the mm-hmm. way they, they tend to promote themselves and the things they talk about. It is. And I think one of the things that's interesting is, and having lived in San Francisco and been part of that tech ecosystem for a while, is that really is, um, you feel that in San Francisco. One of the things I love about being a founder and entrepreneur in Pittsburgh and making these investments that we've been making across the Midwest is, um, it is a different ecosystem. And I think we are seeing founders, more and more, you're seeing social impact being thread all throughout tech. And a lot of this is coming from female founders, um, minority founders. One of the things I love about working with a different type of founder is the perspective that you get to see that you never would have seen before. And this is what I try to explain to people. I didn't I didn't go to the prestigious university. I don't have an MBA. Um, you know, I'm a woman. Like I didn't check any of the boxes. But in my opinion, that brings a level of perspective to life and the world that you're not going to get from people who have typically been starting these companies. Same thing with the minority founders I talked to. They grew up very differently. They have a completely different relationship with their family and their community, and they build businesses around that. 
So that's how we're going to make this world a better place. And um, I, I am, again, this is changing, but it's it's not as fast as I'd like it to be. So if you if you were offering some advice to anybody who was who wanted to go into the world of um, tech startups, be that male or perhaps even more importantly female, what would you say? The beauty of being a founder is that you get to pick who sits around the table with you, right? So use that. Choose the peop- choose the right people to sit around the table with you. And I've seen it over and over again where, especially with a a first-time founder, somebody offers you that first check or gives you that term sheet that you initially, your first reaction is, yes, like this this is going to help me make my dream come true. But what you don't realize is you're walking into a marriage, you're walking into a long-term relationship, your co-founders are like that, your first team members are like that, and your investors are like that. And like I said, those decisions, as as great as they can be for your career and for your company, they can also have an equal amount of harm. And I don't think people, I don't think founders take it seriously enough in the beginning. And I think they allow people in the room with them who shouldn't be there just because they feel like they have no other choice. There are options, and I think there it, we need to get better about helping founders find the right options for those earliest stages that's going to help them get to the point where they can be more selective about the money they take. The other question I had was really, you've faced adversity along the way. As you said yourself, you've had periods of burnout, you've had a divorce, you've had other experiences. What would you say to people about how to navigate through those things? So a couple of things. Um, your support system is so important. And it is, I think it's one of the biggest challenges that founders face is finding the right support system, whether that be, you know, your peers and other founders within the ecosystem with you, if it's advisors, if it's mentors. Um, I think that's probably, you know, one of the most important things um, because it can feel lonely. And the the more that you can kind of diminish that, those feelings of loneliness, you know, the better off you're going to be. And I mean, this one's pretty obvious, but you know, you have to take, you have to go on vacation, you have to take a break, you have to unplug. Um, again, it's the little things. It doesn't have to be a seven day vacation all the time. I've learned to do little things that have made a big difference. So for example, I take my dogs, my two dogs, I take my dogs for a walk every day. I leave my phone at home. I don't bring, because even, because people won't even be checking their phone while they're walking their dogs. Let your mind wander. Let This is also why I'm a huge cyclist, I think, and why I love biking so much, because it forces me to unplug. I can't be looking at my phone. I can't be texting. I can't be researching something. I have to be focused on the road. And it's, you know, it is that is definitely mental health uh, therapy for me is these bike rides. But you have to give yourself space to not be in it. And whether or not that's a vacation or a hobby or walks without your phone, you need to learn how to do that. Yeah, I'm sure that's great advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've written the book. Obviously, we all hope it does really well. What's next for you, Lindsay? So it's, you know, interesting over the course of, you know, from the time I locked the book to the time it's going to be published, like a five-month process from when I'm done writing until publishing, I attempted to resurrect my second startup like a crazy person. (laughs) And three months into that, I once again realized that it is not what I want to do. 
It's amazing how our bodies can make us forget pain. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I so I put myself back in the situation. I had a little bit of a, a little bit of a breakdown, right? And I just I said to myself, I'm not happy. This isn't what I want to do. I had a couple of friends who were enthusiastic and wanted to help. And I was like, this is amazing. And then it got to the point of raising money and I just said, I I can't do this. So I've decided to go a different route. I actually just signed a job offer today. So I'm taking on a role as the startup czar for the Pittsburgh Regional Alliance. And the goal is gonna be to help create an ecosystem for early stage founders here that make them want to start, grow, and scale their businesses in this city. So I'm super excited. I mean, I think I'm gonna be, I'm gonna have the opportunity to um, touch and help a lot of different types of companies through this role, and I'm beyond excited about it. And do you think in some funny kind of way that's your calling? I actually, I really do. I, I didn't, I didn't realize it until, you know, probably recently. But even as I was trying to pivot out of it, something kept pulling me back in. And I think part of it, it's, it's the founders, and especially the female founders that that I work with. I get so much joy. I got um, over the course of the last week, four founders that I've been working with fairly closely have called me with good news, right? Like got into the accelerator, got the term sheet, whatever it means. And I am so overjoyed for them. And I'm starting to realize how much happiness, it's selfish, right? Like how much happiness I'm getting out of this. And like I said, that's, you know, key to me. I want to be um, a ha happy, healthy um, human, you know, for me, for my son, for my family, for my friends. And I just find that giving back into this community is, is really what's driving me at this point. Yeah, and I guess you're you're enabling people with the, yeah. you know the experience you've you've gained from mm -hmm. from doing it, which I think is a lovely, lovely story. Mm -hmm. So I need to ask you where where can people find the book and how do we contact you? because I'm sure people yeah, want so to. Yeah, <laughs> you, so you can connect with me um, on my website, which is lindsaycampbell.com. That being said, my first name is spelled L-Y-N-S-I-E. And my joke is it was the 70s, and I don't know what my mom was doing, but she got extra creative with it. So lindsaycampbell.com, um, LinkedIn, Twitter. I love Twitter. Um, it's really just where I go to test out my future stand-up career. I like to just tell jokes into the void and then like see what happens. Um, but yeah, connect with me if you're a founder, especially if you're a female founder and you have questions, you need advice, um, please hit me up. Like that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's why I wrote the book. Um, you can grab the book on the website or on Amazon. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm super accessible. So please drop me And your location agnostic. So I anyone in, in, in the UK or anywhere else in the world can, of course, call in. This is this is <laughs> true, which I love. And I have met and been talking to so many amazing founders. And actually, the Fund Midwest, which is the Precede Venture Fund I work on, we have um, offices and we have kind of regional, regional funds. So we're in Australia. We're in the UK. Um, we're in Los Angeles, the Rockies. So I really do get to meet amazing people from all over the world. And I, it's one of the things that really makes me happiest. So I feel like I've kind of found found the calling at this point. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Well, we'll put all those things in the show notes. And thank you so much for your, your time. And I wish you the very best of luck thank with you. the book. Thank you for having me, Simon. I appreciate it. My pleasure. 
So what can we take away from this episode? It would have been easy for Lindsay to walk away and avoid the problem rather than confront the prejudice that she faced. But in taking up the mantle of female founders and by getting involved in the investment community, she's doing her bit to move the world forward. I loved Lindsay's enthusiasm and honesty about how she has managed to navigate the challenges put in front of her. Being a startup founder is not for the faint-hearted, but increasingly it is a direction that many women wish to take. There is much work to do to level the playing field, but I hope Lindsay's story and her new book, This Better Work, will help to redress that balance. You can find her book on Amazon. It's a great read, so check it out. And if you're in the startup world, why not check out her weekly newsletter called Chirps, which focuses on all things startup and early stage investment. You'll find the links in the show notes below. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share and consider writing a review because it helps that good old algorithm find new listeners. Until next time, go safely.